to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. Fantastic. Great stuff. It's good to see so many of you here. Really encouraged by, by your being here. I know that... Um, Exams are just around the corner and many of you have a, a lot of different things going on in your lives at the moment. Ed, can you turn that fan down just a, just a touch? I know you guys have got a, a stack of stuff going on in your lives, but I also really believe that today is, is an investment in the true sense of the word. It's a, a couple of hours taking out that we trust God is going to just set us up to understand more of Him and more of His ways in the years, and for most of you still, the very many years still ahead. Dian, can you get your loose here after in the storekamer? Can I quickly just, by a show of hands, how many of you were here on Sunday evening past? Okay, so almost everybody, a couple of you missed it. Um, and the way we've sort of set up the, the week, weekend, couple of seminars that we're going to be doing today, and that I started with last Sunday, um, they all sort of integrate and, and flow out of one another. So I'm, thanks Dan, I'm going to do just a, a very quick recap, but before we do that, I just want to put a small disclaimer in here as well. There's no ways we can cover in the six sessions that we're going to do over last weekend and, and this weekend, everything that Scripture has to say about you and your money and the way we relate to our money, Scripture just says way too much. Even if you just were to take the Gospels, you could spend months just studying what Jesus himself teaches in the Gospels about money. Never mind what Paul and Peter and James write later on, the book of Revelation, what that has to say about us and our money, and then we haven't even touched the Old Testament, which has got so much to say about this principle of biblical finance and the way we relate to our money. So there's no ways we can, we can cover everything. But we are trusting God just to lay a good, a healthy, solid foundation. And if nothing else, to get us talking about money amongst our friends in our small groups, just to almost take the the secrecy of me and my finance and take the cloak and the veil that hangs over that this is my very, very private thing that no one else is never mind going to look at, no one is going to speak to me about, there's no room for input here because it's so private. And the world tells us exactly that. The one thing we, ne we can speak about politics, we can speak about rugby, we can speak about religion, we can speak about all of those things about a bri, and over a bri, but the one thing that's a no-no is we don't speak about you, your money and my money. Unless it's, in a sense, a boastful sense about this new car that I've just bought and this new great investment that I've just done. But we can talk about everything else, it seems like, in, in our modern world, except me and my money. And that just goes up another, like, 72 different levels when we come to church, as I said on Sunday. The one thing that we're not allowed speaking about in church is money. But the funny thing is that Scripture has got so much to say about money 
And if we are to truly represent what the Bible teaches in its entirety, then we need to be spending actually a heck of a lot of time speaking about money. I said last Sunday night that the vast majority of the decisions, maybe not as a child, but kind of when you start growing up and start becoming independent in a sense, the vast majority of decisions that you make will have a strong financial element to that decision. What am I going to do this weekend? What am I going to eat tonight? Am I going to buy a new book or a second-hand textbook? What car am I going to drive? Where am I going to stay? Where are we going to go out as friends? Are we going to go watch the rugby? Are we Basically, every decision, am I going to drive there? Am I not going to drive there? Can I go visit my friends? Should I phone my mom? Should I not phone my mom? All of them, very implicitly maybe, but have a very strong financial element to them. And then it's so important that we have a good, healthy understanding of what Scripture teaches about money. So just to recap, just very quickly, so I know it's been a busy week and you've been thinking about a whole bunch of other stuff. What did we speak about last Sunday? And for those who weren't there, maybe just to bring you onto the same page. Just a couple of, of fundamentals. The first one we said, everything is God's, including all of the money. The silver and the gold is mine, says the Lord. It's all God's. Whatever you have in your wallet, the car you're driving, the house you're staying in, it all belongs to God's. We just get to manage it and to look after it for a short while. Then we said money isn't evil. Money isn't inherently bad. Money isn't this necessary evil that we have to accommodate in our lives, but as Christians we actually want to stay away from because it's bad, except we need it in life, so we have to have it. And sort of a necessary evil, not at all. Money isn't evil at all, and neither is, is having it. It's something that's been instituted by God, given to us by God. What can be evil is our relationship with it. In the same way, if you're a guy, pretty women aren't evil. But if you have a lust problem, then all of a sudden, that blessing that God has given to this earth becomes a serious hindrance to you. And in the same way, wealth and money isn't bad, but if I don't know how to relate to that wealth and to that money in a godly way, then it can lead to evil. And that's why Scripture doesn't say money is, the money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we'll look at that a little bit in this session. The third thing we said is because money isn't evil, money, and in the same way power, doesn't corrupt. It doesn't make something that was pure and holy suddenly very bad. It just amplifies what's already on the inside. And we spent a bit of time speaking about that. We saw that money is profoundly spiritual and our relationship to money and... Have we got the wrong slides here? Wasn't this on this week's slide? The first slide. I may have missed it. In which case, boo-boo, sorry. But thanks to Lonnie for being sharp. We said money is spiritual, profoundly so. We said... 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, one of those scriptures that sort of makes everyone shudder a little bit, where Jesus, say, or not Jesus says, it's Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, but if anybody is unable to provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he is worse than an unbeliever and has denied the faith. Yes, he's going to heaven. Yes, he is saved. But in his witness, in his character, in the way that he's living life, God says, if you don't get this thing about money right, then you've got no understanding what scripture is all about. You've got no understanding about the way that God has instituted us to live our lives. And the last one we said is, He's watching. 
He is watching. And I said, and then I can't remember if I said it in the second service, I think I said it in the first service, that as a church and as sort of leaders in the church, we've got no desire to know who's putting what in when it comes to our giving. Tomorrow night we'll be speaking a little bit about giving specifically in its a broader context. But we've got no desire to know who's giving, how much we're giving. But we do want to know that we are all giving because I believe that's a character trait that we're meant to all exhibit as Christians. But as much as I don't have a desire to see who's putting what in the bag or who's paying what in electronically, in the same way, God is interested and God is watching. And Scripture is very clear about that, that He uses finance as an important measure to test our hearts. We remember when He walks into the, the, um, the synagogue, He sat in a specific way so that He could see who was putting what in. And then later on, Scripture says, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the true riches? So God is watching the way we deal with our money to see are we faithful with that which He has given us. And if we can prove ourselves faithful when it comes to earthly, ungodly, unrighteous mammon money, then He will commit to us those things which are of, of true importance. And then we also spent a bit of time just saying, why is money important? Money's got no value, but it's got a heck of a lot of importance because it's a director for our hearts. Where my treasure is, there my heart will also be. So as I channel my money into a specific direction, my heart will follow in that direction. It's a scriptural principle that we can understand that a budget is a profoundly spiritual document because my budget indicates to me what are my intended priorities. And then we saw my historical accounting record. That's a reflection of my actual priorities. Because sometimes the budget and the historical records don't quite match up in the way we would have liked them to. We've got all these great ideas in the budget, but then when we take last month's bank statement and we look at it, then it doesn't quite match up to these nice idealistic hopes and dreams that we did have we were going to do with our money. And the discipline part in finance comes to making those two match up, making the hard decisions to say, I am making this budget prayerfully and saying, God, this is what I'm going to do with my money. And then just the discipline to stick to those decisions I have already made. The self-sacrifice involved with that. So money directs our heart. And then as we said just now, money reveals your heart. So that's a very quick recap of just what we spoke about last week, just to get us thinking about this money thing again. And then today I'm wanting us to just spend a little bit of time before I hand over to Mich and Dani, and they're going to get really, uh, not Dani, Dion, they're going to get really deep and really clever and really wise about money. I'm just wanting us to read a few scriptures more than preach about them so much because what I'm thankful for in, in scripture is obviously a lot of things. But one of them is that the areas that we struggle in the most, or at least the areas that I find I struggle in the most, Scripture is the clearest about. There are a whole bunch of things which I'd love to know, and Scripture doesn't quite seem to give a very clear answer about should I marry a blonde or a brunette? You know? God, there are these two women that I'm wondering which is the one that you have for me. Well, first of all, unless you come to the place where there's only one option, then there isn't any option. 
Amen, guys? Until you come to the place where you realize it's this woman or nobody, then it's nobody. As long as it's a plan B, you can know there's no heal the But anyway, just as an aside, but scripture about some things is abundantly, excessively clear. Talani, if you can jump to the last slide there for me. I'm going to start there. Luke 12, verse 15. Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. I love how clear and precise that, and concise that Scripture is. There is no way of misinterpreting what Scripture is trying to say here. He says, beware of wanting to amass a whole bunch of things because your life is not the sum of the things that you have amassed. In preparing for this weekend, I've been just reading a couple of books and I just so love the one illustration the guy had. And none of you can understand it. It's an American sense of for Afrikaans, for us a little bit. He says, he has never seen a hearse with a little fenterkie attached to it. Because we can't take our stuff with us. And some of us are convinced that one day, yes, my life is going to end, and then you know what's going to happen when life comes to the end? They're going to take all my stuff and put it in the fenterkie, and wherever I go after life in this hearse, this fenterkie with all my stuff is going to go with me. And if I'm really successful, then it's going to be a really big fenterkie. And the world holds that image before us all the time. John D. Rockefeller was one of the, the richest people that ever lived in his, in his time. He was probably the richest big oil magnet. He gave a whole bunch of um, the UN buildings, etc. He gave to them. He built it and gave it to them with his own finance. Anyway, a whole bunch of stuff. When he died, obviously he died a, a fairly wealthy guy. And somebody asked his lawyer, and they said, how much did he leave be- behind? He said, well, he left all of it. Because he took none of it with him. And whether it was one rand or one hundred trillion dollars like I had last week, we leave all of it. And that's just a a reality that I just want us to just think of as we're speaking through this next principle a little bit. So I'm wanting to speak to us about contentment. I call it I am learning. We'll see the Tanzania team will remember why. But the rest of us will we'll get to that just now. But contentment is just to be satisfied. I remember I walked into a friend of mine's office once when I was still studying. In his office, on the wall, he just had this thing stuck up against the wall and it said, contentment is the art of being happy with what you have. And it is that. It's an art. It's a skill that you and I need to develop and specifically, deliberately develop in the world we live in. Because every time we turn on a television, it tells us the opposite. I mean, I like technology and I like gadgets and, you know, it's all cool stuff. But for the life of me, I cannot understand when the new iPhone gets released. And I give the date. I can't even remember when the date was, the most recent one. And then you can know outside almost every single Apple shop in the world, you know what's going to happen? Overnight, there's going to be a queue, people sleeping outside because they want the first new iPhone. And I want to say to the guys, do you know if you just 
day, for example, that was Sunday night and the shop opened Monday. And now they slept there the whole of Sunday night and they can't wait to get their hands on the new iPhone. I was going to say to them, you know, if you go on Tuesday, there's no queue. If you go on Tuesday, you're still going to get the thing and you'll still be the same person that you are today. But there's something in the world that holds that before us as a sign of success. If I can get the new iPhone, be the first one to have the new iPhone. Then, and then I've had that for three months, and then they decide, no, 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 now I must bring out a new iPhone. So what do I do again? I go stand in the queue outside the Apple shop, because tomorrow morning, when the shop opens, I must be the first one in the queue to get the new iPhone. And then the world speaks about all this recession stuff, and I read that they sold a million iPhones of the new iteration on the first day. A million iPhones, times about 8,000 rand per iPhone. No recession. Don't tell rich people that don't have money if they can go sleep overnight outside a building to buy a gate, which they probably have a very good, perfectly functional one that they're phoning all their friends with and they're telling their friends, I'm in the queue. And then that thing is still worth a couple of thousand, which you're probably going to throw in a dustbin. But the world holds before us that, that that's, what, that's success. Success is when I can have the newest, best, next gadget, car, the keeping up with the Joneses lifestyle. And that's something which is so, so, so contrary to the heart of God. It's the art, the satisfaction of being happy. I was just so challenged by it, but just in a cool way. I just loved it. As, long, as much as I love technology and stuff, this is my phone, which you can't really see because my other one broke in the week. But that button, is, there is no button meant to be. The screen is cracked in half because I just had it for a couple of days and I dropped it on a stone. And it's from about six years old. But you know what? It still works perfectly. When I want to phone someone, I can phone them and I can read my emails even on this. And it's not as cool and as fancy as the other stuff that we can use. But it works just as well. And it was such a reminder to me, just so practically and so simply in the week, that we don't always need the newest and the best and the next. 1 Timothy 6. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, I can almost just go sit down just after reading that. Godliness, what does that mean? A purity, a integrity in my heart, a picture of Christ and a demonstration of Christ, a sanctification, a living according to the ways of Christ, with contentment. In other words, that character together with something in my heart that says I'm happy with what I have, is great gain, speaking about material possessions. Obviously, there's contentment, and we're not here talking about spiritual discontentment. We're not here talking about being unhappy with the state of the world. We're not talking about here being unhappy with the fact that this week apparently we're going through the 7 billion people on this earth threshold. don't know how they counted that, but anyway... Apparently, we had the 7 billion people this week in the earth's history. I'm not talking about the discontentment of wondering, God, how many of those people are saved and walking in relationship with you? I'm not talking about that. And this is, scripture isn't talking about, Scripture here is talking about material stuff. Stuff we put in our pockets, stuff we drive around, stuff that we use, and just the, the stuff of life. 
And it qualifies that. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain our hearse will not have a trailer. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. There's just another verse right there we can stop about. <laughs> Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. And I wonder how many of us, if we're completely honest with ourselves when it comes to material possession, will be happy with just those two. Food and clothing, God, that's enough for me. The scripture says there's a place of peace in our relationship with Christ and who we are where we understand that food and clothing is enough. As long as I've got food and clothing, I'm happy. With food and clothing, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich, here once again we see the love of money element. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. I want to just emphasize that again. Those who desire to be rich, not necessarily those who are rich. And I want to just bring a liberty there for us. God will use some of us financially and He will bless some of us financially in powerful ways and that's awesome. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if we are forever just thinking, God, how am I going to make the next buck, God? How am I going to get rich? How am I this? How am I that? Then Scripture warns us here very clearly that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Will you guys remember the story of the, the tares, the seeds that get sown in the ground? It says the kingdom and the gospel is a little bit like a guy walking and he's sowing seeds. And what do the first seeds land? You can remember the story. The land, the path and the road, and they don't grow. The second seeds, on the rocks, they grow and they don't have roots going down and the sun comes and the persecution and they wither. The third one, thorns and briars, and it grows. And then Jesus says, the deceitfulness of riches comes and he strangles those. That there's a deceitfulness of riches that is aimed at stealing our salvation. That is aimed at stealing our relationship with Christ. And he says that the third, and the fourth one obviously is the one that bears fruit. But he says the one thing, it can land in good soil, it can grow root. But then the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches come and steal the word and steal the seeds that have been planted in their hearts. But there's nothing wrong with money. There is something wrong with making that the purpose of my life. And then we read that verse we spoke about on Sunday night. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness, that warning again, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I know some people who have pierced themselves through with many sorrows because of a desire to get wealth. But you, man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. He says, don't pursue making money as your life goal. Pursue godliness. Pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. Pursue love. Pursue gentleness. I want to encourage us, each one, even today, to make a life decision that we're probably going to have to renew a couple of times. But to say, God, my purpose in my life is not the pursuit of wealth. It's the pursuit of God. 
if my pursuing God does bring me to a place where God releases wealth to me for the furtherance of His kingdom, that's awesome. But if my pursuit of God doesn't release that, I'm just as happy. If I just happen to be staying in the same old house, driving the same old car, phoning with a six-year-old phone, but I've got food and I've got clothing, you know what? I'm happy. Because I'm pursuing the purposes of God with my life. I'm not pursuing the wealth that's not going to go anywhere with me in life. The reality is that if you and I won't be happy with just food and clothing, the chances are we won't be happy with Him either. If we won't be happy with... Sorry, with... Let me rephrase that. If we won't be happy with just food and clothing and without all of this wealth, we won't be happy with all of that wealth either. Because that wealth does not make me more. And that's the first verse we read. One's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And that's just something that just before we, we carry on this week, I just want us to, just to make a peace with and just be honest about again. I'm going to throw this out there because most of you here are probably leaders in church and you, you're really committed to church and that's fine. didn't want to say this, but I'm going to say this just here anyway. Do with it what you want. But just out of interest's sake, I had Tian go and just get a little statistic for me from the bank statements. Now obviously, we take up tithes and offerings in, in church services. But we don't quite know how many people put in and how much everyone puts in. And as I said, I'm not too interested how much everyone is putting in. But the reality is we have anywhere between three and 400 people here on the Sunday night. And, you know, the, the money that we bank on a Monday that's coming from a Sunday doesn't reflect to us that a lot of people are putting a lot of money in the offering. The vast, vast, vast majority of money that comes in is electronically, which just makes a lot of sense. It just means I don't have to come to church with a big wallet load full of money if I'm earning a salary to give a tithe. So obviously a couple of people give, give money on Sundays, and especially students who aren't earning income as such, but you just made a commitment to say, God, I'm giving because this is what you've called me to do, and I'm just making this part of my lifestyle as is. And I'd Tian go and just count the line items. In other words, in the last couple of months, on average, how many deposits are made electronically? And the reality is that we average probably about 75 in the last couple of months. Which means out of a church of 300 odd people that in their hearts say they are here, let's say another 50, it's not even close to that, but let's say another 50 have given in the week, in the Sunday, into the offering basket. That means we're not even at half the amount of people in church who have just come to an understanding of the financial commitment that God calls us to in relationship with Him. And the reality is that there's this striving and this desire for money, and I'm a little bit off topic now, I'm going to be speaking about more of this tomorrow evening. But there's this thing that says to us, I must amass all this wealth. The more money I have and the less I can give, the more I can keep for myself, now life's beginning to happen. But Matthew 6 says so clearly, 
says, do not lay up, and obviously we're going to read this a couple of times, and I'm sure the other guys will touch on these verses as well, because they're just, once again, they are so clear about what God says about money. You can't have a, a degree in Greek and want to interpret this differently and bring a whole bunch of deception around what God says about money because it's just too clear. You can't, you can't misinterpret. There's no ambiguity in this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is just after the story of a guy who's made a whole bunch of money and he just thought, man, my life is happening and what's he going to do? He puts up these big stores and he puts all of his wealth in the stores. And you know what Scripture calls him? A fool. One of the few places where Scripture calls somebody a fool. And it says, that person is a fool who thinks his life consists of the abundance of his possessions. Because what if his soul is required of him tonight? An eternal focus, which is missing in our finances. One of the things, you know, when we, we think about finance, those of you who started thinking about finance, that's probably why you're here. Maybe one of the questions that you're asking yourself is, maybe not yet if you're a student, but those who started working, you know, if, if I move towards a retirement age 30, 40 years from now, I want to make investments now that are going to be valuable then. And that there's an element of wisdom in that. But it's still sort of, to my mind, missing the, the question. The question isn't, God, what are the investments that are going to be well worth it 30, 40 years from now? God, I want to know what are the investments that are going to be well worth it three and 400 million years from now? Because there's an eternity to come. And yes, I want to have a long-term view, but not a long-term view 30 years a long-term view, a hundred million years, eternity. Because that's what Scripture says here. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Speaking of our perspective on finance here. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things shall be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
we just read this one, we see that God guarantees us a couple of things there. He guarantees us food and He guarantees us clothing. He says those are the two things we're not going to worry about. And the previous scripture we read said, with food and clothing we will be content. The great thing to know is that God promises that food and clothing, you and I as His children, will always have. The challenge that He holds before us is, will that be enough for you? Will that be enough? I do believe, and maybe there's something for another topic, I do believe that God would have His church prosper. I do believe that God would have His church have an abundance for every good work, as Scripture says. But I only believe that God will entrust us with that when we have demonstrated to Him that with food and clothing, I'll be happy, God. Because God, if you want me to give away everything, then I'm willing to do that because it's yours anyway. But as long as we enter into the trap of possessiveness, you know what possessiveness is? It's like, this is mine. You know, every little two-year-old God's possessive, mine, mine, mine. And little... Seagulls have it too. Mine, 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 mine. But some of us go through life like that. This possessiveness, this, this little bit that I have, I'm going to make sure everything I possibly can do to put, not to steward it, not to look after it, to keep it mine. And the other trap is the trap of greediness, which says, or covetousness, which says, yes, I've got this couple of stuff that's mine, and Every now and again, I let it go just for half a second so I can pull something more in. And yet, one of the Ten Commandments is, if you want to paraphrase it, be happy with what you have. Do not covet. Don't look at everything else your friend has and your whatever is going on in their life and say, I want that, I want that, I want that. Now, there's nothing wrong with, yes, flip it, it would be nice to have that. That's not what I'm talking about. But that greediness of, I want that, I need that, to fulfill me because it's not going to fulfill you. Scripture is so clear there. Do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about its own things and God has promised food and clothing you and I will have. Would we be happy with food and clothing? Because I believe once we come to the place where we are so loose from earthly things, then God can begin to give us those earthly things. Because then to us they become a tool, they don't become something that we want to be possessive over, they don't become a measure of my manliness, they don't become a measure of my spirituality, they don't become a measure of the abundance of my things which make me, they just become a tool that God places in my hand for the advancement of His kingdom. And then God's beginning to say to us as a church, yes, go now. Here's everything you need Go build those houses. Go feed those children. Go preach the gospel. But food and clothing satisfies me in my heart as far as the things I need. And then I'm learning. Philippians 4. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. He says, thanks so much for giving, guys. Though surely you did care but you lacked opportunity. You wanted to give, you just couldn't give. There wasn't opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need. I'm not saying thank you because I needed the stuff. I'm saying thank you because of the heart from which you're giving it. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to have a bunch. And I know how to, 
are based on now to have nothing and now to abound, to have a whole bunch of stuff. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think often we like quoting, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but we miss the context in which it's written. It's written in the context of money, just as an aside. It's written in the context of me having stuff. And Paul says, whether I have the stuff or whether I don't have the stuff, I am happy because whatever I do, I do through Christ who strengthens me. It's not dependent on the car I'm driving, the TV I'm watching, the DSTV package I've got, the internet connection, the computer or the cell phone that I'm using. Whether I've got it or whether I don't do it, I do it through. Whether I've got it or I don't have it, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing through the cross of Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Specifically in the context of being happy with having nothing. I can have nothing and I can have a much. Whichever way I'm doing it, I'm doing it through Christ. But something that I just wanted to highlight there, just in closing. Paul writes and he says, For I have learned. He says it twice. And I want to invite you to join me in, in making a commitment to say, God, I want to learn. Because it's something we need to learn. Nobody is born with this. It doesn't come by default. One of the things I love about just going up into different parts of Africa or India, third world developing country places, is it just brings in me just a new appreciation for the stuff I have. When you see the nothingness they have often. And in the same time, it brings to me an understanding that none of that stuff actually means anything. Thank you God for the stuff, but God thank you that the stuff doesn't mean anything. Because there are people there who have nothing, live in complete poverty, but are so fulfilled in their relationship with one another and with Christ. And we were just in, when we were in Tanzania, where this I am learning thing comes from, we were stretched as we always are when you go into situations like that. And I think it was Yaku's wife, Mia, who we spoke about this covetousness thing. I can't remember how it happened or the contentment more. Because it's a struggle. You're staying in squashed up places, long days, eat breakfast six, seven at night, like in the morning, have lunch, small lunch, small fish for lunch. You know, stuff that you don't really want to be eating or seeing. You need to eat a little bit of it. And then 10 o'clock tonight, you have supper again. You've been working the whole day and it's hot and you're tired and you just get stretched. And after two weeks of that, you learned a little bit to diet yourself. And one day, Mia just started this thing, I'm learning. How are you doing? No, I'm learning. Because there's this contentment that God is working in me that right now I'm not happy with the situation I'm in except I know that God wants me to be happy here. And I'm learning to embrace this. I'm learning to say, God, I don't get this. This isn't comfortable. I don't like it. But God, I want to embrace it because I understand that you're in this somehow. And this morning, I want to invite you guys just to, to with, with me in your hearts to, to say to God, God, I want to learn, God. God, I'm embracing this learning thing. Because maybe some of you here have, I know it's something that I'm still learning. I can't write, I have learned in whatever state I am. 
I can't write that yet in my life. So if I were to write this, I am learning in whatever state I am to be content. I'm learning how to be abased. I'm learning how to be about how to abound. And I want to encourage us just to I want to pray a simple prayer with us to that regard now as well. To say, God, that the world all around us is wanting to tell us that my life consists of the abundance of my possessions. But Lord, I, I'm willing to learn and God come and teach me this contentment thing. Show me, God, what it is to be happy with just food and clothing, which are what you've guaranteed me. So I don't have to worry about that because I'm always going to have that. And just as an aside, you know, there's a just a different angle just to think of as well. God promises food and clothing will be content. Sometimes we speak to ministers and people who just in their hearts just realize something is not well, but they're so convinced that God is with them and God is blessing them because they always have food and clothing. The reality is that no, God isn't necessarily with them. God isn't necessarily blessing them. He's just keeping His promise. But it doesn't matter what we do, where we go, how disobedient we are, food and clothing we will have. So we can't take food and clothing as a sign that we are now being obedient to God. There's a lot more that we need to ask in terms of the way we live life. Because food and clothing, God says, will always be there. And I really believe that He wants just in where we're going for us as a church, so I believe what he's saying to us, he's not necessarily saying it to the whole church. He's wanting us to grow in our financial stewardship so we can show our hearts to him, so he can commit to us the true riches. But the reality is for him to commit to us the true riches, we are going to need money to, manage, to meet the needs of those true riches. If God is going to send broken people crying people, hurting people. It's going to take money to look after them. Widows and orphans don't happen for free. If you want to take a, a child, let's take an AIDS orphan. You know, you, you're not going to get right. I don't even I think the budget for Kibwe is a lot more, but let's just say for, for argument's sake, absolute minimum, we can feed that child, clothe that child, medicate that child, Look, educate that child for 2,000 rand a month, for argument's sake. Do you know if that means we want to be doing 1,000 kids, for argument's sake? That's a 2 million rand a month budget. If we want to be doing 10,000 kids, 20,000, 100,000, a million of the 4 or 5 million AIDS orphans, you know, a million kids at 2,000 bucks each is a 2 billion rand a month project. And it's great saying to ourselves in our hearts and in our minds, we want to be reaching those kids. But Jesus says, no one builds a city without first counting the cost. No one goes to war with first going back and doing the maths and saying, have I got the resources to finish this job? And as Christians, sometimes we do that a little bit. We've got these great idealistic ideas without understanding the implications of having to do this. That if we truly want to reach this city and the people of the city and the people around us, 
It takes money to do that. Let's just be practical. And I really believe where God is wanting us to go is He's wanting us just to take a step in faithfulness in the way we work with our money individually and corporately so that He can commit to us the true riches and so that He can empower us to do what is needed with those true riches when they do come, the people come, the stuff of value. So I want us just to, to pray this. I'm just going to pray for all of us and you're welcome to pray with me in your hearts. Just, God, I'm, I'm learning, but I, I need to learn a lot more. God, will you come and, and teach me this contentment thing? Can we pray that? Just to just see that if you'll, you'll bow your heads. Father, I want to thank you this morning that, that you are a faithful God, Lord. Lord, that you promise that food and clothing we will always have. There will be no lack of food and clothing, God. We'll, we'll be just fine. But Lord, I know in my heart and maybe for many of us here, Lord, we acknowledge that right now we can't say with food and clothing I will be content. God, we pray that you come and teach us, Lord. We want to learn. Paul had learned by the end of his life, Lord. And this is a school we're all still in and we want to learn. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you come and teach us, Lord. Come and turn and work in our hearts so that with food and clothing we will be content, Lord. That we will not find our joy, our significance, our satisfaction, our self-worth, in the abundance of our possessions, Lord. That we will find our worth in the knowledge that we are sons of the King of kings and daughters of the King of kings, redeemed and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord. God, I pray for us as a church that we would grow in our financial stewardship. We would grow in our obedience to your ways. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that, that you come and teach us so that we can say, I am learning. In Jesus' name, amen. listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that it was time well spent establishing God's kingdom and proclaiming His glory in your life. For more information, call us on 012-362-1363 or email us at pretoria at shofaronline.org. You may also wish to browse our website at www.shofaronline.org or find us on facebook.com forward slash Pretoria. Yeah.